Man, I love that song. <laughs> it's funny, I was telling Seth, the first time I ever did that song was probably 10 years ago in a church, and they all looked at me like, and I honestly thought, I don't know that these people know Jesus. You know, <laughs> How could you have a blank stare after singing something like that? And it reminds me of my, my five-year-old boy. We talk about all the time just how great Jesus is compared to everything else. And he's hilarious because he's like, you know, Dad, if, if we wanted to move this house, we would have to, we couldn't do it. But Jesus just goes, and it moves, you know. <laughs> and we were talking about Satan and the devil and like how he's going to rise up this army at the end. And yet Jesus is going to come down and just, it's done, you know. And it's just, I love songs that talk about the power that God has. For those of you who don't know, my name is Joe Kibbe. I serve as the worship pastor here. And I'm super excited to be able to preach this morning. A passage of scripture that is near and dear to my heart as we look at Galatians chapter 3. We're going through a series called God Space. We're walking through the book of Galatians. And just kind of a brief recap, the book of Galatians is unique in Paul's letters because it's the only letter that he doesn't give any thanks, he doesn't give any praise to the church. In fact, he's very pointed because they're starting to believe a lie. They've deserted the truth. And then we've talked about this over uh, the Galatians were very to and fro. They went back and forth all the time. And yet we find ourselves, we can sympathize with the Galatians as well. And we see a lot of the stuff that they're dealing with is what we're dealing with today too. A lot of Christians are to and fro believing this lie. And so Paul has been instructing them back on the way that we know the truth of the gospel. Salvation through faith alone. Adding anything else is not the gospel. Last week Pastor Aaron talked to, ended out the chapter 2. And so just kind of a brief recap about, you know, Paul says in verse 20 that we've been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Right? There was a change that happened the moment we got saved. And he closes out 21, and he says, I don't nullify grace, meaning I don't make it of no effect. Because if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And we know that's not true. But the reality of it is, is when we add something to the gospel, when we add ourselves in there, then we nullify grace. And it means Christ died for nothing. So we're going to dive right into Galatians chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to get them out. We're going to kind of read the passage, and we're going to break this down verse by verse as we walk through, as Paul is very pointed in what he's saying, and I think it's going to be beneficial for us today. If you don't struggle with some of the stuff that's on here, you know somebody who does. And so I want us to just take comfort in the Word of God that we have. Galatians chapter 3, if you'll stand with me in honor of God's Word, it'll be on the screen as well. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. Galatians chapter 3, starting here in verse 1. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Verse 9, so then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you today for your word. God, we thank you for the truth that we have, the authority that we have, the confidence we have. Because you've given us your word to study, to read, and you've given us the spirit to help us understand. God, be with us now. 
Let us meditate on it. God, let us focus on it. And don't let anyone here leave the same. God, we love you. We thank you in advance, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the first thing we see here, Paul is telling the Galatians, you know the truth. And again, just reflect a little bit on the, what, what's been happening so far through Galatians. They've been deceived. They've bought into this lie. And Paul says, you know the truth. He starts it out, O foolish Galatians. Right Now this word that Paul uses, this is a very, very harsh word. This is a straight punch to the gut. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul standing in front of you and say, O foolish Galatians. Now this word some commentators will say stupid, or even some translations say, oh, you idiot Galatians. Now, foolish is a better word because we like to use the word stupid or dumb or whatever to kind of poke at somebody. That's not what Paul's doing here. This word foolish means that they're not reasoning through a matter with proper logic. It's acting in a mindless way, which is just plain stupid, right? They know how to think through something. They know the truth, and they're choosing not to think through it in a reasonable way, and Paul says that's foolish, but again, Paul's not making fun. This is a perfect example, we're going to see this, of speaking truth and love. Paul's concerned about these believers in Christ. Yet some smart-talking so-and-so has convinced them otherwise, and he wants to get back to the core here. He says, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So now, Paul's not saying that they were there. He's not saying that they actually saw the crucifixion. And even if they were, I don't know that it would have profited a ton. Think of all the hundreds of thousands of people that saw the death of Christ, and what did they do? They mocked him. The apostles left, and they went and hid. But what he says, it was before your eyes that you saw, and that's significant, right? Because they saw something far greater. Here's the reality of an unbeliever. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, be on the screen. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is the reality of every unbeliever. Those who saw Jesus face to face, if in unbelief, they're controlled by the God of this world, which is Satan himself, and he has blinded their minds. In steps Jesus, right? After the resurrection, when he's with the disciples, look what he says here in Luke 24, 45. It says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. See, the devil's always thinking he's got one step ahead, and yet Jesus comes in and reverses everything. The unbeliever's mind is blinded. It's been closed, yet Jesus can open their minds. These are Christians. These Galatians are Christians. And so when Paul is preaching the gospel to them, the Holy Spirit has opened their minds to see clearly. And this, when he publicly portrayed it, it means like as if he painted it on a billboard. As if they saw it perfectly and clearly. Not just the crucifixion, they saw Jesus for who he is. Saw it with their own eyes. That's why Paul says, who has bewitched you? Right? Which means who's cast a spell on you? Who's blinded your eyes to this? Now, this didn't actually happen. Paul is just using this analogy because that's what, he wants them to see what's really going on here. You guys have seen the truth. Your eyes have been opened to the truth of the gospel. Yet, as if somebody's cast a spell on you. And it's interesting, that word, it kind of reminds you of the jungle book. You know, when you look into my eyes and you get hit. It's like, that's kind of what it's portraying, this evil eye. Like, they've been cast a spell on them, but yet that didn't happen. And that's why Paul calls them foolish, because you know the truth, but you're choosing to believe this instead. To me, it's fascinating. Their eyes have been opened. They can see with open minds now. They know the truth of the gospel. Yet they choose not to think with the power they've been given, to think logically through a matter. And Paul says that's foolish. 
The second thing here, we're going to spend a little bit of time here. As Paul says, think about it. And what I love here, what Paul's doing again, he's not making fun of them. He's not saying, oh, you stupid people or whatever it is. He says, you're foolish because you have the ability. You're choosing not to think through it. But then Paul, he loves them enough to then teach them how to do it. And I wonder if you and I have the same love for someone else. We're very quick to point at somebody's flaws. But do we love them enough to actually help them see the truth and help them get back on track? And that's exactly what Paul does here. He says, you failed to think it through. So now I'm going to ask you four hypothetical questions. And these hypothetical questions are going to remind you of the truth that you know, help you think logically to see this lie that you're being told is actually a lie. The first one he says here in verse 2, he says, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Again, these Galatians are Christians, right? They have received the Holy Spirit. He says, think about it for a second. Did you receive this by works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is the whole crux of Galatians. He just talked about the Jerusalem Council. The Judaizers are coming up and saying, Gentiles can't be saved unless they've been circumcised, unless they've followed the law like we have. And Paul says, did you receive the Spirit, which you have, by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now today, I think sometimes Pastor Aaron said it a few weeks ago, he says the word circumcision more than he's ever had in his life, and we're going to say it a lot again today. And I think when we hear that sometimes, we kind of disconnect a little bit because that's not what's being pushed down our throats today. But there is other things, right? I grew up hearing from other people that you have to be baptized in order to be saved. People still add things to salvation. But what I love about the Bible is it's going to clear up both of those things. If we look at Acts chapter 10, Peter and Cornelius, if you remember the story, he has a vision from God. God says, eat some of this. And he says, no, it's unclean. I'll never do that. And God says, don't you call unclean what I've cleaned. Paul calls him to, or, yeah, God calls him to Cornelius. And when he gets there, look at Acts chapter 10 with me. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. Peter starts proclaiming the gospel, starts sharing it with him. He says, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him, which is Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was saying these things, saying what things? That whoever believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. And it says, while Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And then it says, everyone of Peter was amazed because the Holy Spirit fell. They're speaking in tongues just like they did to them. Now notice what Peter says here in verse 47. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. When did they receive the Holy Spirit? After they were baptized? No, it was before. When they did what? Believed. In faith, they believed they received the Holy Spirit. Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? They know this to be true because it happened to them. Nothing precedes salvation. It's in faith alone when you believe. Second question, he says, Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And I, I think it's interesting that right before that he says again, are you so foolish? Because I think this is the one that gets us today. This is the one that all of us have either experienced or know somebody who's been taught this. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Meaning, now that you're saved, is it up to you to maintain that salvation? Paul says, are you so foolish? Think about this for a moment. When Paul says, having begun, this word means a beginning of something. Something new, new has started. So what was it? What was this new beginning? What happened? And I want to just point out too, Paul never says here, did you begin by the Spirit or not? No, it's, it's just a fact. Having begun by the Spirit, 
are you now being perfected? So let's look at the first part here. They've begun by the Spirit, this new beginning. What is it? I think it's clearly spelled out in Romans chapter 8. Verse 15, it says, You have received the Spirit of adoption to sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now look at this. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. This is how you began. When the, when the Spirit come in, you are made a child of God. It's very simple. You weren't a child, now that you are, with this new beginning with the Holy Spirit. Now again, Paul doesn't question here whether or not this happened. This is a fact, but I think it's good for us to know how did that happen? How did you begin with the Spirit? This becoming a child of God, was that of works? Was it of faith? Well, if we look at John 1.12... It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. All who believed in his name, Jesus gave the right to become a child of God. This new beginning that we have, where we become a child of God, was given to us because we believed, and Jesus is the one who did it. It's also interesting, this having begun is only used twice in the Bible, here in Galatians and over in Philippians. And if you remember a few months ago, we went through Philippians. Look what Paul says in Philippians 1.6 about answering the question. So we know you begun with the Spirit. And again, we just saw it's by believing. But then are you perfected by the flesh? Look what he says here in Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began, there's our word, a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus began it. And, he, and Paul says, I'm sure of this. He's going to bring it to completion. So, having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? No. Jesus did it all from start to finish. And Paul says, think about it. Remember that moment that you were saved. Remember that moment that you recognized that you needed a Savior, and He was the one who did it for you. Why would then we start to believe that we're somehow on us? And this is something that really I struggle with because I grew up in a church that taught this. I grew up thinking until I was 19 years old that I held secure the salvation in my hands. And it was crippling. And I remember going to bed at night praying, God, if I thought something, if I said something, please forgive me because I don't want to die and go to hell. Because that's what I was told. That salvation was on me, on my ability to maintain holiness, on my ability to maintain this righteousness. And as I was studying through this, all, a ton of Christian denominations all preach this. You need Jesus, but then now you have to do these things. What the Judaizers were saying here too. And as I started to think about what is so appealing about that, because in that moment that you first believed, you recognized that you needed a Savior. You recognized how you could not do this yourself. Why is it so appealing to then think somehow you can do it yourself, knowing that you didn't? I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And John MacArthur, speaking on this, he said something very interesting. He says, their minds were not persuaded. We know that can't happen. God opened their minds. But their emotions were victimized. And he goes on to talk about how there's, it, it, it pulls into this ego and this pride that we want to earn something. We want to say we've accomplished something. And as I started to think about that, Scripture started flooding back into my head. I, saw, I thought about Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Where you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of yourself. It's a gift from God, not of works. And then this last part lest any man should boast. And I thought about that. Why would he set it up to where we couldn't boast? That's our natural tendencies to boast. We want to brag about this. Think of Paul 
when he, in Philippians, when he's talking about all the stuff he did as a Pharisee, remember? He was an elite. Everyone looked at him as like he, he did everything. He accomplished all this stuff. And he says, I counted all as nothing. The Judaizers, it's interesting what they're saying. Oh, you can be saved, which they don't actually believe that. But they're telling the Gentiles, you can be saved as long as you're circumcised, as long as you follow the law, just like me, right? There's this pridefulness in us that wants to earn something. We want to know that we accomplished this and look at me for what I've done. I mean, you see the Sadducees. I mean, all throughout the Bible, there's this desire to want to elevate ourselves. Yet when we do that, we bring Jesus down. The gospel is humbling. I don't know about you, but I heard growing up, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Right? We all come in there equal. At the end of chapter 3, we're going to see Paul says in heaven, there's no Jew, no Greek. Right? We're all the same because it's all about Christ. You and I do have a part in salvation to play, but that part is that we're the ones who need a Savior. That's it. Jesus did it all. And it's humbling. I think about the parable in the vineyard where Jesus, the, the, the owner, he's paying these people for a day's work. Of, you know, one, one group works a whole day, the other group works a half a day, one works just an hour, and yet they get paid the same. Who complains about that? The one who worked the whole day, right? I've had conversations with people. That they say, do you really think if somebody lived their whole life apart from God and on their deathbed believed in Jesus, do they really get to go to heaven like me? And I don't say that to poke, but I think it's revealing this pridefulness inside of us. That we think we're better than we are. Really, we all need a Savior. Paul's no better than us. I'm no better than you. No one's no better than anyone. It's Christ. It's always been about Christ. You can't perfect yourself with the flesh. Start it with the Spirit, and it will end it with the Spirit. And Paul says, I'm sure of this. Next question, he says, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Now, the word suffer here kind of throws us for a moment. Suffer can mean loss or blessing, that you suffered a loss or a blessing. And in the context here, I mean, the Galatians did suffer. I think we know Paul was left for dead in Galatia. There was things that were going on. But in the context here, this suffering, it's it really better translated experience. Did you experience so many things in vain? And what Paul's talking about, he's like, think about the day that you were saved again. Think about those moments where you, you came to faith in Christ. Even us, like we have confidence in our salvation, but it goes like this if we're honest, right? There's days that we're 100% confident. There's other days that we're a little shaken. I personally have experienced that. I know you have too, because you start to believe this lie over here. But even in the midst, no matter where you're at, there's been moments in our life as true Christians that God has made it abundantly clear that we are His. Paul says, did you suffer that? Did you experience that for nothing? One of the questions I've always had was what about the angels? When people said, you know, if you sin or if you're not righteous you know, after, and you lose your salvation, I've always thought about, what about the angels? Luke 15, 10. Jesus says, I tell you in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. I've often thought to myself, why would the angels rejoice when a sinner comes to Christ if he's going to turn around and screw it up later? Maybe they know something we don't. Maybe they understand the victory that was accomplished in Christ and that it's not on you and I. I find it hard to believe that the angels would rejoice if it's all for nothing. Do we experience those things for nothing? But I love how Paul ends this. He says, if indeed it was in vain, because he reminds us that even if we start to get confused, even if we have those moments where our confidence dips a little bit, when the devil starts to convince us, you're not good enough to be saved. There's no way Christ would have done this for you. You can't be a Christian. You've done these things. In those moments, Paul reminds us that it wasn't in vain. Right? These experiences did something. And just so, just so you're aware today, 
of the confidence that we have in Christ. John 10, 28 says, and this is Jesus, he says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That includes you. And if Jesus says it, who are we to argue with that? Paul says in Romans 8, he's persuaded that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, there's security in Christ. And those moments, those experiences you have, those confidence that you are his child, they're not in vain. There's a reason you felt that. It's for those moments that you start to get a little confused, where the confidence dropped to be reminded that Christ is there. This last question he asks, he says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, when we think of miracles and all, the Galatians are different than us. The first century Christians are different than us. They've seen some stuff, right? We know uh, in particular in Acts 14 when Paul was in Galatia, he, he, him and Barnabas healed a crippled man. Now, according to this, there was many works and miracles that happened, right? And so he asked them, did that happen by works of the law or by faith? Now, you and I haven't experienced some of those miracles, but Scripture makes it abundantly clear. So I'm just going to rattle off a few, and you tell me, did these miracles happen by works of the law or by faith? Jesus says, your faith has made you well, Matthew 9, 22. Your faith has saved you, Luke 7, 50. Your faith has made you well, Luke 18, 42. Your faith has made you well, Luke 17, 19. Your faith has made you well, Mark 10, 52. And according to your faith, be it done to you, Matthew 9, 29. This is just a snapshot. You're not going to find anywhere in Scripture where these miracles were performed because somebody fulfilled something of the law. It's by faith that these things actually happened. Paul says, you know the truth. Think about it. Here's some questions to help you remember and to, and to be able to see that this is a lie. But the last thing Paul does here in this passage is phenomenal. He says, Scripture proves it. And before we get into verse 6, again, remember what Paul is doing here. Paul is not just making fun of the, the Galatians. He cares for them deeply. He cares for them so much that he's willing to tell them the truth in love. He says, you're being foolish. You're not thinking it through. So I'm going to help you think it through. But then at the end of it, he says, don't take my word for it. Scripture proves it. I think we can learn a lot from this. And I think as Christians, the next time we hear something that sounds great, if we would just simply ask, can you show that to me in here? You know how much better our lives would be? This is the supreme authority. This is God's word. We're going to see how, what Paul thinks about this in just a second. But Paul says, don't take my word for it. Even though Paul's like, I'm the one who God used to share the gospel when you were saved. Even though I'm an apostle, don't take my word for it. That's what you're doing with the Judaizers. Don't take my word for it, though. Scripture proves it. Look at verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, Abraham's a big deal. We're going to get into him a lot more as we go through the book of Galatians. But in a nutshell, Abraham's the one that God made the promise to who made the covenant, the redemption plan. The offspring of Abraham is going to be blessed because of Abraham. It's all, it's all being the son of Abraham. This, this whole promise is built around. And the Judaizers are obviously telling them that this is necessary. And they're also saying, look, Abraham, that's, God gave him the seal of circumcision. That's why you need to be circumcised. That's why you got to do these things. But Paul brings us back to Genesis 15:6, where he says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. See, this righteousness was counted to him because he believed, not because he did anything. But I want to really look at Romans 4 real quick as Paul, 
I mentioned the word circumcision. We're going to say it a lot here. But I can't think of a more clear passage that again shows that salvation starts without anything else. These Judaizers are telling these Gentiles, you have to be circumcised. You have to follow the law to be saved. Look what Paul says about Abraham in Romans 4. We're going to start in verse 8. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count as sin. It's a pretty phenomenal verse right there. Verse 9 says, In this blessing then only, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our, our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. That's interesting to me. Because these Gentile Galatian Christians have bought into this idea that they have to be circumcised to be saved. They have to be circumcised as a part of this righteousness and in order to be heirs of Abraham. Yet that's not how Abraham did it. Abraham believed God and it was counted as righteousness. That was before the sign of circumcision was even given. So they're telling them they have to do something Abraham didn't do just to be a son of Abraham. That doesn't make any sense. That's why Paul says in verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And I, 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 Paul's got to be saying, how can you buy into this stuff, right? The scriptures say this thing. They're, where are they coming up with this stuff? Righteousness is in faith, not in us. And everyone throughout scripture proved that. Now notice Paul's view of Scripture. This is what I mentioned before. When somebody, there's a lot of slick talkers out there. There's a lot of people that appeal to us, and it makes perfect sense to us. But yeah, I want to see Paul's view of Scripture here in Galatians. And then we should have the same. I love how he words this. In verse 8 it says, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Paul says, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God... The scripture preached the gospel. And then he says all the nations will be blessed. In Genesis 17, if you go there, God actually tells Abraham, in you all the nations will be blessed. Yet Paul says scripture says that. And he interchanges scripture and God as the same exact thing because that's exactly what it is. This is God's word. And again, I say when somebody comes to you with something, no matter how good it sounds, prove it. Show me in scripture where that is. Because we're accountable to God and His Word says this. I don't care what you have to say. The last verse here. Paul says, So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Again, this is what the Judaizers are clearly telling them. You have to be a son of Abraham. You have to be an heir. Yet we saw in Philippians, we all see in Galatians, they don't actually believe the Gentiles can. And that goes back to that pride. They are better than them. They've lived their lives according to the law. But they've told them this is how you come into the family. And Paul says, no, it's faith that you come into the family. It's not by works. It's just like Abraham did by faith when he believed. Now I want to close here. And I want to make sure we understand what Paul says here in verse 8. Because many, no one will argue that only the, righteousness, only the righteous will inherit the kingdom of God. No one will argue that God's called us to be holy as God is holy. And yet many will say that that's up to you. 
Many will say, you have to maintain your righteousness. You have to be holy. If you sin, you go to hell. They'll still tell you that. My question is, how can you do it when Isaiah says your righteousness is as filthy rags to God? There's no doubt that you only the righteous will inherit the kingdom of God. There's no doubt that you have to be holy as your God's holy. But how can you do it when your righteousness is as filthy rags? In verse 8, as we just read, Paul says, Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. This word justify is huge for us, and we need to fully understand this word. The word justify means declare righteous. But this righteousness isn't just a normal, this is divine righteousness. And this is tied to the crown of righteousness we're going to get, it's tied to all these different things. But God says his plan was to justify, to declare the Gentiles divinely righteous. That was his plan, and it's going to happen by faith. You and I need to be righteous to get to heaven. God said he's going to justify. He's going to declare us righteous by faith. But now that's a future tense. And so before we leave here today, I want you to know that that's happened in Christ. Romans 5, 9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. In Christ, this is, this is done. We have been declared divinely righteous by the blood of Jesus. There's only one person who deserves heaven, and that's Jesus. And our belief in him, he credits that to us. How amazing is that? Friends, can I challenge you to quit, quit raising ourselves up by dragging Jesus down? I wish we could have the understanding that my five-year-old has. When I tell him that Jesus is everything and we're nothing compared to that, but yet he did it for us, he doesn't get offended. He doesn't get frustrated. He gets excited that we have a Savior who's accomplished it for us. Quit trying to raise ourselves up. Our righteousness cannot get us to heaven. Yet you've been declared righteous by the blood of Jesus. And it's done. Paul says, you know this is true. If you're a Christian, you know this is true. Think about it. And by the way, God says so. I'm going to ask the praise team to come forward. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and we just reflect on this. I know there are some of you today that struggle with this, have been told this for many years, that it's on you. I know that you know family the same way. And I want to challenge you that if that is you or if you know someone, that, that God would just... Make his word so clear to you. God demands perfection. Yet you and I are far from it. But through faith in Jesus, it's given to you. That perfection is given to you. You didn't start it, and you definitely don't finish it. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to respond through song. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word today. God, I pray that you put aside how I presented it, and that we could just clearly see what you say. God, I pray that you would give uh, your children the confidence to know that being a children is a right that you gave them because of what Jesus accomplished for them. And God, I pray if there's someone that struggles with their confidence of their security in you, that God, that your word would just release that from them and that they would fall into your arms and know that you're the only one who made a way. And the promise you made of eternal life is something they can take to the bank. God, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. God, I ask that you just be with us now as we respond through song. I want to give you the praise, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.